Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can always learn more about the vision or get financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. We are a living organism, the body of Christ, and if you didn't just feel his heartbeat, something's wrong. Amen? The church is alive. And uh, I want to talk today about what it means for us to give our lives to the kingdom of God, to give our lives to be utilized in the church. Uh, We're in this core value series. This is how we do it, talking about the core values of our church. We gather together for worship. We grow in faith through relationships. We give generously of our time, talent, and treasure. And then we go after our one. We go after people uh, who are far from God, but close to us. And uh, I'm so excited about what God's doing in our church in these days. I'm excited about Cody and Hannah Baxter, who finally showed up, uh, leading our A youth. And uh, the launch of youth in two weeks, which I'm so pumped about. Uh, I'm excited about groups launching out this week. We got new groups that are launching out. If you, if you are not a part of a group uh, and you want some people to grow in your faith with, they're on the wall outside, and I would encourage you to get involved in a group. Uh, VIP night is tonight. Uh, I was told by our staff that we're full. Uh, what that means is that if you are a VIP and you're not signed up, come anyways. Uh, you, you can have my meal. I'm serious. Like, we don't want you to miss out, so just show up. Uh, VIP night tonight, and uh, I'm also excited because this week, college football starts. Amen? It's just a good week. I'm a big football fan. I know some of you are like, no, they had games yesterday, but there's not a a fan of Hawaii University in the house, right? They played last night. Uh, But I want to talk for a minute about the difference between being involved with a team and being invested with a team, right? Because as fans, there's, there's different levels to fans. Right? Some of you are like, yeah, I like this team, I watch them. And then some of you are like, this runs my life. Like, I, I love this team. And uh, I was doing a little bit of research, and there's a story of a guy I have to share with you, um, a Detroit Lions fan. Any Lions fans in the house? Just put your hands up. We got one, which at, at the, the ratios are correct. I think it's like 1% of people, uh, less than 1%. There's, there's a fan, Detroit Lions fan. I want to show you a picture. All right, Sean Payton is the guy's name, 34 years old, back in 2012. 2012, the Lions and the Saints played in the playoffs. And, and so you had the Lions in the Superdome in New Orleans. Uh, the Saints are winning the game. Obviously, this guy got a ticket, was super excited about being there. And as the Saints started pulling away, he made a decision as a very invested fan to do something that is absolutely crazy. Deshaun was like, I got to figure out a way to help my Lions win. He got on the phone and he called the hotline for the New Orleans Saints, and he called in a bomb threat to the Superdome. (laughs) And when he was arrested, this is what he said, by the way, when he was arrested, he said, "Uh, I'm I'm not a bad guy. I just got caught up in the moment. See, the the, the, the Lions made the playoffs for the first time in God knows how many years, and I was doing all I can to help my team win. I'm like, you know what, man? I felt that before. Like, that, something's, so I'm just calling a bomb threat, right? Crazy thing is, dude called twice, and he was not inebriated at all. Uh, completely sober, trying to make a move. There's another story. Uh, a Turkish soccer fan goes by the name Ali, 
And uh, he was banned. I don't know what he did, but he was banned from the team stadium for a year. And so Ali rented a crane. This is a true story. You can look it up. He rented a crane for every home game. And from the crane, still led the crowd in chants. Still watched every game. And I thought to myself, that's amazing. We need those kind of people in the church. I'll show you another story. Back in 2003, uh, so I, I've been a Clemson fan for a long time through the years when we were terrible, okay? Back in 2003, uh, Clemson was playing Florida State in what was called the Bowden Bowl. And uh, essentially it was like, hey, if, if, if the coach of Clemson does not win, he's going to lose his job. He was playing against his dad, uh, Bobby Bowden of Florida State. And so my brother and I went to the game. We got tickets and we went with about six other guys. And it was on a Saturday night, late, late on a Saturday night. And when, when the game came to a close and Clemson showed out they were going to win, course, everybody rushed the field. I was a lot younger in 2003. Um, I didn't have any kids yet, so I didn't have a lot to lose. Uh, And I was married, but I knew Ashley would make it without me. I jumped into this crowd, and and as the goalpost is falling down, me and my brother, we like grab hold of it. I look at Blake. I was like, just keep your feet moving. Just shuffle your feet, because if you don't, you're going to get trampled, right? And and I'm proud to say, we got a piece of that goalpost that hangs in my office. There is a difference. Here's my point. There's a difference between being involved with a team and being invested in a team. I will tell you, I'm not near as invested now as I was back then. Uh, God's reprioritized some things in my life. Thank you. Uh, But I still watch him. I'm still involved. I will be cheering for him Saturday against Georgia. Uh, But I, listen, I'm one of these guys that wants Carolina to do well too, okay? I cheer for both state teams unless they play each other. Now, I want to I just throw a, a line on this message uh, that I, I believe encapsulates what it is I'm going to be talking about. That story helps set it up, and this is it. Um, I believe that no matter what it is, the amount of your investment will determine the extent of your experience. Now, I'm going to put this up against church, right, because we're going to talk about involvement with church, involvement in the kingdom of God. The amount of your investment, so how invested you are, will determine the extent of your experience, Right, like you can be really, really invested in a church, and you can get a lot out of church. You can be involved with the church, kind of nominally attend, and that's going to be kind of what you get out of it, right? And so I want to talk about this because Jesus speaks specifically about this um, in one of his parables, Matthew chapter twenty-five. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter twenty-five. Jesus is is on the way to the cross. He's been in ministry for three years with his disciples. This is one of his last lessons that he teaches. His disciples. So I want you to think about last words, like final words. This is one of the last lessons that he gives to his disciples. And it's a series of parables that he's talking about, and he's trying to explain to them the kingdom of God. And he's going, the kingdom of God is going to be like this. The kingdom of God is going to be like this. And in Matthew 25, he speaks about this concept, this idea of giving ourselves to the kingdom of God. The local church that you're part of right now, the local church is the vehicle by which we give ourselves to serve the world. Matthew 25, let me read this. And I'm reading out of the message translation because I love the way Eugene Peterson with the message translation tells this parable. Matthew chapter 25, here we go. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and he delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000. To another, 2,000. And to a third, 1,000 depending on their abilities. If you can just underline that right now in your Bibles, highlight it, circle it, depending on their abilities, that's, that's an important piece we're gonna come back to. 
And then the master left. Now, right off, the first servant went to work and he doubled the master's investment. The second did the same. But the man with a single thousand dug a hole and he carefully buried his master's money. Now, after a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and he settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. And his master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with $2,000 showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. And his master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Verse 24. Now the servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid that I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. Now, I I believe this is one of Jesus' hardest teachings Uh, when it comes to the kingdom of God. I believe it's one of the hardest teachings for us to really like take in and put into practice in our lives because of that last conversation that we're gonna talk about in just a minute. Uh, And and, and I I wanna give an overview of what I believe we can learn from this parable and then a couple practical things that I think we can apply. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, this would be a good place to maybe write something down. But I I think the most tragic part of this parable is how the third servant doesn't really know his master. Like, overview, so we got a master, he's got three servants. One he gives $5,000, one he gives $2,000, one he gives $1,000, right? The parable of talents, it's not skills. Like, when we read the word talents, we think uh, a gift set or a skill set. Uh, Talent was a measure of money in first century Jerusalem. And so, uh, what we find is that the master entrusted each servant with a different amount of money. What I want you to think about today, and what we need to get our heads around, is don't apply this just to money. I want you to think about everything valuable that God has put into your hands. Think about everything good that you have, every gift that you have, everything that's worth anything in your life. I want you to think about that. It could be your job. It could be your family, it could be a spouse, it could be a relationship, it could be your kids. It might be your income, it could be your health. Uh, it could be college student, the free time that you have. Uh, by the way, if you're really busy right now, you will never have more free time in your life than now. Uh, so enjoy it. But the, when you think about the good stuff that you have, that's what I want you to think about with this particular parable. And so the master gave the first servant $5,000, the second service servant $2,000, Uh, the third servant, $1,000, and he told them, hey, I'm going off on a trip, so I want you to manage these resources that I'm putting into your hands. He goes off, he comes back, and the response of the first two servants is, look what we did with what you gave us. 
Like we put it to work, we invested it, right? Jesus uses banking terms. We invested your money and we've got return on investment. We doubled what it is that you gave to us. The third servant, when the master comes back, the servant blames the master for being a hard man with high expectations, with no grace. And he says, because of that, I decided to bury what you gave me. In other words, I did nothing with what you put into my hands. I didn't put my gifts, I didn't put what was of value that you gave me to work. And it's interesting because when Jesus tells this, the people that he's talking to at the time, his disciples, they all had a view of God that maybe in some ways was different. I think about this room, those that are watching online. We all have different views of God. And the way that we see God is gonna determine how we serve God. The way we see God will determine how we serve God. Because some of the ways that we see God is somewhat distorted. What does that mean? Well, when I, when I say God is our master, right? Some in here may go, well, he's hard. And he's got high expectations. And he's got no room for grace. And that's the God that you think about. You, you think about this uh, judge in the sky who's just ready to strike you down. And, and so it, it, it instills fear. It instills uh, distance. You think God's up there, he's mad, he's angry at you, right? Kind of similar to this third servant, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. And you go, well, if that's how I feel or that's how I view God, how do I change? The answer is that you draw closer to his word and what his word says about him and what it says about you. I think about it like this. When, when I was, um, Braley, our oldest son, uh, when he was first born, uh, I was trying really hard to connect with him. It is hard for a dad to connect with a two-month-old. Like, we don't breastfeed. We tend to stay away from diapers. Listen, uh, if, if you got someone, if, you, if you're married to a husband and he does diapers, like, and he's on it like this, like, he's blessed. Like, you're blessed, Right? Um, I stayed away from a lot of that. I didn't know what to do. I would try to connect. I wasn't good. I told Ashley, I'm really good with kids two and up. And she would say, well, you're selfish because at that point they can play back with you. Uh, but, but in our house, I was trying hard to connect with my son. And so I would come home from work and Ashley would be holding him and I'd be like, hey, buddy, you know, like going in and he just, yeah, just crying. It was not working. This was like repetitive every day. And I'm going, man, he just doesn't like me. And I'm trying everything, I mean, toys, everything I can. And there was a day where all this changed when Ashley informed me, hey, babe, he can't see you. And I'm like, oh, no, what's wrong with him? It's not him, it's you. And she informed me that baby's eyes up until like six months can't even focus outside of like a foot. And, And in fact, if they try to focus, they go like, crossed and it's just a blur and so I'm literally every day coming home from work rolling on my son like some crazy BFG like hey boy he's scared to death right and so I was like okay so the only way I'm going to be able to connect with him is not to shout at him from over here but get a whole lot closer to him right so he can make out my face and see who I am and recognize oh that's my dad all right so spiritually speaking for those of you, you go, well, I, I view God in such a way that I have to earn his favor. I view God in such a way that I'm not good enough. I view God in such a way that he's looking down at me and he has high expectations on me and, oh, I messed up this weekend and there's no grace to cover it. The way that you correct your view of God is to get a little closer to what? Who he is. This word tells us who he is. 
There's a couple of scriptures I want to drop on you that help us reshape who God is and the way that we should see him. Psalm 18, verse 30 says this, that God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. And he is a shield for all who look to him for protection. Psalm 34, 18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. How many of you know that when you're going through a difficulty and you're going through a trial like what was sung about earlier, sometimes when you're in a trial, you can easily start to think, I deserve this. I caused this. This is my fault. God's distant. But the Bible says that if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And it tells us that he's close to those who are brokenhearted. So don't buy the lie that he's somewhere out there. He's right beside you. John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17, which oftentimes gets left off. Verse 17, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I heard a pastor one time say, look, if God wanted to send a judge, he would have sent a judge, but God sent a savior, not a judge. And so when you look at Jesus, Jesus came to save us from our penalty of sin and death. Romans 5.8 says God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Before I go into the principles of this parable, let me ask the question, what's your view of God? How do you see him? How do you see him? Do you feel like you have to earn his favor? Do you feel like you have to somehow earn his love, that it's conditional based on what you do? Like that distortion has to get corrected. The way it gets corrected is by leaning into his word. I've found the best way to do that is in a circle with other people. We call them small groups. And so let me just invite you. Maybe, maybe the one thing you hear me saying today, the one thing you hear is, man, I need a proper view of who God is and how he sees me. This book is gonna shape that for you. Nothing else. This book will shape that for you. In light of that, what's three things we can take away from this parable? When we talk about we give generously of our time, talent, and treasure, here's the first thing if you're taking notes. We've all been given gifts. We've all been given gifts. Now, the gifts vary, right? But when we talk about gifts, again, let me remind you, um, anything good you have in your hands, anything good you have in your life, it came from God, right? Like James tells us, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. So just take quick inventory, right? I'm not asking you to say it out loud, but, but think about everything good in your life. Think about your health. Think about your relationships. Think about your family. Think about your job. Think about your paycheck, right? Think about your skill set. Think about your giftedness. Right? Think about all, the, think about your time, the talents that you do have, like, these are gifts given to you by God to be used for the kingdom, to be used to advance the kingdom. These are not for you to take and go, all right, well, I'm gonna bury them so I don't mess them up. I think a lot of times people don't wanna be used by God because they're scared of screwing up, right? God, God gave all of us gifts, and when I look at this particular story, it's interesting because all the gifts are not the same. You got one who got 5,000, one who got 2,000, one who got 1,000. And the ones that were rewarded were the guys who took what they had and they put it to work for the master in the kingdom. The one who got punished at the end is the one who decided I'm not gonna do anything with what was given. So here's my charge to us. Those things that you thought of earlier, start investing them in the kingdom of God. Well, what does that look like? All right, let me talk, let me talk to, the, uh, 
to the couple right now, the, the couple that just got married, and, and um, you're trying to figure out, okay, how do we, do we, do we have kids? Do we not want to have kids? Like, how do we manage our time right now? Hey, start now investing this good thing, your marriage. Start, in, start investing it in the kingdom of God. What's that mean? Start serving together on a Sunday. Jump into a small group together during the week, right? Go ahead and make the decision now. Hey, we're going to tithe what God's blessed us with financially into his church, right? Like, go ahead right now investing in to this good gift that God gave you. Or maybe you do have kids, all right? You go, well, how does this play in if I have children? Well, if God's given you a good gift in kids, start investing your kids in the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean give them away, but it means start sowing into them the things of the kingdom. Don't just drop them off at A kids and go, hey, y'all teach them about Jesus, because boy, they need it. Like, maybe, maybe you go, hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my kids in A-Kids, but I'm also going to sign up to serve. And I'm going to sign up to teach back there. And I'm going to sign up, I'm going to have a parental influence back there. At home, right? Don't just put them to bed at night. Spend time praying over them, right? Invest the relationship into the kingdom. Maybe you're a business owner in the room. God's gifted you with a skill set to, to start a business and lead a business and help cultivate leadership development people. He's blessing the business and you have resources now to extend out to other people. You have a network, you have connects. Use that for the kingdom of God. Use it, like leverage that for the kingdom of God. Don't just go, oh, God's blessing my business. Praise God, I'm a good leader. No, anything good you have is from God. So leverage that to be used for his kingdom. Leverage your networks, leverage your connections. I can't tell you the number of times in our church, where people who have business experience leverage that experience, leverage those skill sets for the glory of God. I'm talking about attorneys who help write up documents for single moms. I'm talking about business owners who help strategically find locations. Like I met a meeting this past week. I was at a meeting with Lucas Denson and, and, and some of our team talking about the Somerville location moving forward. And we sat in front of a, uh, a very successful business leader who is leveraging his influence and connections for the kingdom of God trying to help us find a location out in Nexton. Why do I share that with you? He's not in ministry, but he's in ministry. Follow what I'm saying? Whatever God has gifted you to do, whatever good thing you have in your life, start investing that in the kingdom, and what will happen is God will start giving you even more. Because this story, uh, whenever the master comes back, the two that invested wisely, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Or your translation may say, to the one who's been entrusted with little, he can be entrusted with more. If you can't be faithful with a little, there's no chance you're going to be faithful with more. That's like the person that says, oh, one day when I make more money, then I'll tithe. No, you won't. And in fact, you have the mind and heart of God backwards. Because God says, if you start now, then I'll entrust you with more. Second thing is this. We've all been given gifts. Second thing is this. All of our gifts are different. All of our gifts are different. Now, that, that line I told you to underline earlier that to them, the amount was different based on their abilities. I want to camp on this for a minute because I think this is really important because we're terrible at comparing our lives to other people, right? Anybody else struggle with that at times? I don't have what they have, so I can't do what they do. And, and what's interesting is that according to this master, we're told that he gave to them according to their abilities. What that means is that he knew what they were capable of. Tells me that the creator of the universe isn't going to give you something beyond your capacity, He's not gonna entrust you with something you can't carry. Let me put it in terms that maybe you understand. Um, most people won't ever lead worship at Awakened Church because in your head you're going, I can't sing like Zoe. And you can't. 
<laughs> Let me just... <laughs> that, that was a terrible example. <laughs> uh, or Abby, or Lauren, right? You can't sing like any... Or Jade, you can't sing like any of them. Um, but but here's, here's the thing. I promise you there was a time, uh, and I'll just use Lauren as an example, because Lauren's been on the worship team in a, for a shorter period of time than, say, Zoe. I promise you there was probably a time where Lauren was like, mm, dang, Zoe, she can bring it. I'll just sit out here and let her... But it's like, no, no, I'm going to step into that, right? Uh, I think about Jade, kind of same thing. Jade maybe have looked at Abby through the years and like, God, Abby's, Abby's been leading worship at Awaken for like seven years. Abby's amazing. Like, I don't have that leadership capability. But she stepped into it, right? I think about some of these musicians that are up here. Like, we've got some talented people on these platforms. And if the temptation is, look, I can never do that because I don't have what it takes now, God's not going, hey, wait till you get that development to step up there. He's saying, step up now with what you have and then watch what I do for you. It's like one of my favorite stories in the church is Chris Flood. Chris, who didn't know how to play keys a couple years ago, couldn't even play the keyboard. But Chris started playing, and Chris was faithful, and Chris got up there, and Chris missed a few, few notes, right? But Chris has developed, and God's blessed his gift, and his gift is cultivated. And now Chris is in rotation leading worship at Awakened Church. I think about people who lead small groups. Oh, I can't lead small groups. I don't know that much about the Bible. God's not trying to make you a Bible scholar to get you into leadership. He just wants somebody who's available. He'll equip you with the knowledge if you'll step into the opportunity. I think about Carrie Reeves, Mike and Carrie Reeves, who have a house. I heard uh, Lucas was trying, Lucas, our campus pastor in Somerville, was trying to find locations for launch groups for Somerville. And uh, man, we've got to find houses. We need houses. And I'd heard through the grapevine, man, Mike and Carrie Reeves got a pretty nice house. They're over in Ashbury East. Like, I think they got, a, they got a big spot. So I let the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit did, and I went to Lucas, and I was like, yo, the Reeves got a house. <laughs> so he planted a seed in the Reeves' lives, and here's what's really cool. Mike and Carrie took this good gift that God had given to them, allowed it to be used for the kingdom. This past week, I was talking to Carrie, and she said to me, it was amazing this past uh, week at group, the Holy Spirit really moved in our living room. And I could see God working in the lives of these men who were talking about how they were paralyzed. Remember from the sermon last week? Paralyzed, not able to move forward in what God was calling them to do. And I just couldn't help but think, man, Carrie took what God had blessed her with, put it in the hands of the kingdom, and now God's using that to bless her. That's how it works. That's the cycle of blessing. But the problem is a lot of people go, I don't have what it takes. I'm not going to do it. Can I encourage you? Don't compare your gifts to someone else's gifts. Don't compare your marriage to another marriage. Man, if, man, they have date night. They have vacation. We don't even talk to each other before bed. You can, you can easily try to escape your situation comparing it to somebody else. Or man, those kids are perfect. Ah, their kid, they walk in. How do they walk in church together all holding hands and all matching? Like we fought and spilled coffee on each other coming to church this morning. You know, like you, you look at me like, ah, like what's wrong? What's what's wrong with me? Right? I can't. God can't use me because I have these deficiencies, or hey, I've got these hangups or these addictions, or I'm trying to get over this sin. Look, just because you know your sin, don't project it onto somebody just because you don't know theirs. Everybody's struggling with something, y'all. I've been in this long. I've been in ministry long enough that everybody walking through these doors is carrying something, right? Some just may be more visible than others. It was like the lady I met at the first service. She came in and she was like. Hey, pastor met me, and she was like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to quit smoking. I didn't say nothing about smoke. And I looked right back at I don't care what you smell like or what's coming off your breath. I'm just glad you're here. Amen? So I, I, st- stop, stop disqualifying based on what you don't have. And I think about these, 
these servants, right? Because it's like, well, I don't, I don't have enough um, 5,000, 2,000, 1,000. I got one, all I got is 1,000. So the natural tendency is I better protect this 1,000. I'm going to bury it. I can't afford to lose it. It's less than what's been given to the other two. And Jesus at the end, he says the master condemns that mentality, that I'm protecting the little that I have. Here's my question to you. Like, whatever good thing you have, it may be time, it may be a skill set, it may be a talent, it may be money. Like, are you trying to protect it and hold on to it, or are you releasing it into the kingdom to be used? That's the question we have to ask. Because comparison, when you compare your life or compare what you have to what someone else has, the enemy will use that to compromise whatever it is God's called you to. I think about when I was first in youth ministry, my first youth ministry gig, I was a Christian for about two years, Cody, and I was a youth pastor at a little town in Gaffney, South Carolina. You know where that is? You're, up in, you're from up in those parts, right? It's a little dead-end town, got a big old peach. Uh, and I was serving at this church. I was their first ever full-time youth pastor, and I had like 20 kids in my youth group, and I went hard in the paint with these kids. Like, I, I was like, these, these kids are going to, they're going to, they're going to rule the world. Like, we're going to have world changers. Made a decision. I'm going to reach the entire Gaffney High School. And I was doing every FCA invite I could, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, trying to reach the basketball team, trying to reach the football team, going so hard in the paint. And I remember being so discouraged one time because uh, our youth room, we had a youth room that was in the basement of the church. And I lived in a basement with a senior adult at the time. My girlfriend, Ashley, who I'm now married to, was down here at College of Charleston. I was up there by myself. It was cold. I didn't like it. I'm from Charleston. It doesn't get below 50 degrees. And I remember one winter, I'm sitting down there, and we used to play the youth service. I was everything. Uh, we didn't have a worship leader. I don't think anybody in the church knew how to play guitar. And so I'd have like a little CD player. And at the, at the time, y'all remember compact disc CDs? Anybody? Remember those? We didn't have none of this like Bluetooth stuff. And I remember I'd get all the kids in there and welcome them. And I'd do the announcements. I was the host. I hosted the service, welcomed everybody. Okay, let's, let's pray. And I would use prayer as the transition moment to put the CD in the CD player and hit play, hoping somehow maybe they just thought the Holy Spirit did that. I don't know. And they would just open their eyes, and it's like, then I led worship. I can only imagine. Y'all remember that song? Remember that song? Some of y'all do. I remember leading worship to that song with all the 20 kids, you know? And then, then I'd speak. And then afterwards, like, I did it all. And I was just, like, going so hard. I had no adult leaders at the time. And one of my good friends at the same time, one of my really good friends, took a, a ministry job at a huge church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I remember sitting in my little office in that basement thinking to myself, man, if, if only I was there, God would use me more than here. Because if, if I was there, I would have a building. And if I was there, I would actually have a budget. If I was there, I would have a staff. I wouldn't be by myself. If I was there, I'm sure I'd have a worship leader. And I wouldn't have to try to sing to these kids. And if I was there... It was like, if I was there, then somehow, God, it's completely counter this principle because what God called me to in those days is you be faithful with these 20 students I put you in front of in this church that needs a sense of revival and stop trying to imagine yourself somewhere else. Because if you try to imagine yourself somewhere else, you don't even deserve where you are, right? And that's, that's entitlement. The enemy puts entitlement into our hearts to go, somehow I deserve something different and if I'm there, God will use me. But the master here says, look, if you're not faithful where you are, You'll never be where you think you're going. And, and I want to encourage every single one of you, whatever it is that God has gifted you with, entrusted to you, the skills, the money, the relationships, be faithful. Be faithful. Plow that field. Don't be looking for harvest somewhere else. And let God use you exactly where you're planted. 
I think it's why Jesus, when he sits outside the temple and he sees all these people carrying their bags of money, what the prideful people would do in Jesus' day was they would carry their bags of change and go to the temple and they would pour this change into these copper pots. And so the wealthy people, you would hear like, cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. And they just kind of like, yep, I gave a lot. Jesus is watching this with his disciples and there's a lady one day that walks up and all we hear is, ting, ting. The widow's mite. Jesus says, she? She gave more than all of them. Why? She gave everything that she had, right? It's, it's not about how much, it's about what do I do with what I have? And that's the principle that we're talking about here. It goes to talents. Hey, what am I gifted at? You take your gift and you use it. It's like all the, the merch shop that's out there. A lot of y'all bought t-shirts, a lot of y'all bought jackets, right? I can't design merchandise, or I can, but you probably aren't going to wear it. But you know that we had some stylish people that did a lot of research that designed that stuff so that you'll put it on your backs and go tell people about Jesus and his church. They use their skill set, their gifts, to be leveraged for the kingdom of God. It's like our photographers and our graphic designers and the follow-up team that takes all these next step cards and process them during the week. It's you hosting small groups in your homes and serving on teams. Whatever it is that God's given us, different levels of abilities, give it to his kingdom. Leverage it and be used through the church. Third thing is this. We've all been given gifts. All of our gifts are different. And lastly, and this is where I think the story gets a little thick, uh, a conversation, a conversation's coming at some point. A conversation's coming. What does that mean? Here's what it means. In the story, the master comes back. And we're told that when the master comes back, he wants to get an account for his stuff, right? Hey, I I just handed out $8,000. I gave $5,000 to you. I gave $2,000 to you. I gave $1,000 to you. What'd y'all do? with what I put into your hands. What did you do with what I entrusted to you? And the first one says, well, master, look, I doubled it. Well done. You put what I gave you to work for the king. Come on in, be my partner in this. Well done, good and faithful servant. To the 2,000, hey, same thing, doubled it up. Put it to work, got the investment back. Here you go, well done. Come on in, share with me, partner with me in the kingdom. And then to the 1,000, The master looks at him and says, hey, what did you do? Servant says, well, here's the deal. My understanding was that you're a hard guy, you have high expectations, you have no grace, so I just buried it. I didn't do anything with it. And and the master looks at this servant and says, essentially, you don't belong here. In other words, you don't know who I am and you don't have my heart. Can I just tell, like, it's a hard teaching because when we look at what Jesus teaches, it's like, look, if we don't know him and we don't have his heart and we don't give him all that we have, what he essentially says to us is we don't know who he is and we don't belong in his kingdom because we miss his heart. Listen, I believe our responsibility as a church, Awaken Church, we give generously of our time, talent, and treasure. Here's what it means. We want to equip you that on that day, because the Bible says every... Every single one of us at some point is going to give an account. We're going to stand before our maker. We're going to stand before our maker and we're going to acknowledge him. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And for those who are believers, we're going to give an account of what we did with what he gave to us. Hey, I I gave you that marriage and I gave you those kids. What did you, how did you, how did you invest? What did you, did you give them back to me? I gave you that business. I gave you the skill set to not only plant that business and launch it and grow it. And I, and I blessed it all on the way. How did you? Did you give that back to me? How did you leverage that for my kingdom? 
I gave you the skill set to sing or to play or to lead or to teach. Like I gave, how did you use that for my, I want us. And as a church, we believe our responsibility is on that day when you stand face to face and Jesus asks you, what did you do with what I gave you? We want you to be able to say, here's how I leverage what you gave me for the kingdom. And we want Jesus to look back at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You gave your life to the kingdom. You leveraged your skills. You leveraged your talents. You leveraged your gifts for the kingdom. Well done. And that God works in and through you to advance his kingdom so that on that day you meet him face to face, he says, come on in. Come on in. You're one of mine. Share with me in what it is that you help build. That's what we want to do for you, church. Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? All across this room, I want to ask you a question. It's a simple question, but it's got major implications. Here it is. When you take an inventory of the good things in your life, it might be money, it might be people, it might be relationships, it could be a business, a career, a social circle, a team, a child, a spouse, a relationship, time, you got ample time. When you take inventory of the good things in your life, are you giving them back to God? Like, are you investing that for the kingdom? Your skill set, your business savvy, your networks, your relationships, your money, your family, are, are you giving that back to God? And maybe today what he's saying to you is, it's time, it's time to open up your hands. Maybe it's time to start giving your tithe. Maybe it's time to start giving your time. Maybe it's just you writing on the card, on the back of one of those cards, hey, I'm incredible at business and God has blessed me with leadership. You know, if you let us know, we're gonna come after you. We're gonna ask for advice, right? Like whatever gifts, hey, I'm good at administrative. I'm good at creative graphic design. I'm good at photography. Like whatever skills you have, maybe today what God's saying to you is maybe it's time to give that back to the kingdom. And the the principle of this parable is that as you do that, God's gonna reward you. He's gonna entrust you with more. He's gonna put more on your plate. He's gonna give you more opportunities. He's gonna bless you more in all those areas. Why? Because God's a God of blessing and when we're generous to him, it's more blessed to give than receive. We can't outgive God. So maybe more than anything else today, what you hear me saying is let me open up my hands and every good and perfect gift that he's given to me, I'm giving back to him today. The second group of people that are in the room, and maybe you hear all this and you're like, look, I don't, I hear you talking about master and I hear you talking about Jesus. Look, I, I'm here because I want, I want to know God. Maybe you've come to, to celebrate and witness a baptism today. And this, is, this talk about God being a loving God who has a plan for your life and wants to prosper you, and maybe this is all new for you, but maybe today you're recognizing, hey, I don't, I don't really have a relationship with God. The Bible says clearly, the Bible says this, there is no way to the Father but through the Son. The only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that God sent Jesus to the earth to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for your sins and for mine, to be placed in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us of our sins, remove all unrighteousness. In other words, when we trust in Jesus and we believe in Jesus, God looks at us no longer and sees our sin, he looks at us and sees Jesus. And the way to get in relationship with God is through believing in Jesus. And maybe today, maybe today you just need to make a decision to give your life to Jesus. I wanna invite you to do that. 
I want to invite you to say, I want a relationship with God. I want to trust in Jesus because everything else starts there. It's the greatest decision you can make in your life. And so if that's you today, I want you to lift your hand when I count to three and lift it as high as you can so I can pray for you. One, you say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus today. Two, three, just lift your hand up. I want to pray for you. Amen. I see you. I see you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God, thank you. Thank you for those responding right now to the good news that you're a loving God who pursues us and wants to know us. Thank you for the obedience to begin a relationship with you, Jesus. And Father, I pray for these who have lifted their hands that today would be the beginning of a journey where they know how loved they are and how valued they are and how treasured they are by you. And that in this church, God, they would grow in their faith and leverage the good things you put in their life for your kingdom. God, I pray for us as a church that you would continue to call us to obedience and to holiness, that we would continue, God, to use our gifts and our talents, our time and our treasure to advance your kingdom for the good of this city and for the glory of you, Jesus. So Father, we love you today. Everything done here, everything said here, we pray you would get glory for it. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.